Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. I'm Kylie Camps and welcome to the podcast. This space is dedicated entirely to making a difference in the lives of women. I believe we all have a right and a responsibility to truly live our best lives. It all begins with curiosity, changing our thinking, and cultivating more self-love. Through thoughtful conversations and shared experiences, I really hope that you can take something away from this podcast. I'm a business owner, a speaker, a sleep consultant, and mum of twin boys. I've also recently completed some training in the cognitive behavioral therapy space, and I'm super, super passionate about the ability that we all have to really improve our days. And ultimately, when we take ownership of improving our days, we're really improving our whole life. So let's get stuck into today's episode. Welcome to today's episode. This podcast is a conversation with Dr. Jody Richardson on anxiety, particularly anxiety throughout motherhood. And I could have spoken with Dr. Jody for hours and hours and hours. I really enjoyed reading her book, Anxious Mums, and I'm sure many of you will also enjoy reading it and be able to take away some actions and some food for thought that can make a massive difference in your life. As someone who has certainly had anxiety over the years, in fact, my earliest memory of having anxiety is back in primary school. And as recent as yesterday, I was feeling anxious. It's one of those things that so many of us live with. And so Dr. Jody shares her wisdom and knowledge and actions that can make it easier to live with anxiety and to also parent as well. Before we get stuck into today's conversation, I wanted to take a quick moment to thank today's sponsor, Nutra Organics. And you guys, I'm so excited to be talking about this range because I have known for months and months that it was coming and I've just been waiting and waiting to get my hot little hands on it. And it's finally here. And so Nutra Organics have released a whole variety of new products and new merchandise as well. They have a natural pre-workout in two flavors, raspberry lemonade and juicy peach. They have a really beautiful shaker, new booty bands, new greens powder, and also the thing that I'm going to focus on just for this little chat, they have reimagined and relaunched their clean protein powders, which I have to say, I've been using their clean protein for years, happily, like no complaints, just happy, but they have gone and taken their protein powders to the next 
level. I cannot believe how lightweight these protein powders are now. When I opened their new canister, which is a eco-friendly canister, and it looks really beautiful as well, and I saw the new texture of the protein powder, I was like, ah, this is a prime example of leveling up and just creating, I don't know, like the almost a surprising factor of going, oh my gosh, I can't believe how nice this powder is now. I was happy with it, but it's even better. And so the protein powder texture now is really, it's so light. I would describe it almost like wispy, if that makes sense. I don't know if it does, but it's a beautiful texture and the new flavors are hands down the best flavors to come out of Nutra Organics, in my opinion. The salted caramel fudge clean protein is a winner. I have been having it the last couple of days in smoothies, but also just mixed up in my little cookie dough concoction, which is literally just protein powder and a little bit of almond or coconut or cashew, whatever I have on hand, milk dripped in to create like a thick, kind of paste dough and then just eating it as it is. So clean protein is a plant-based complete protein. It has pre and probiotics. It has branch chain amino acids. It has 23 grams of protein, 0.9 grams of sugar per serve, and it is a low carb mix as well. So it's a wholesome, delicious, gut-friendly, complete plant protein blend to help you train, recover, and tone. And it really, really just tastes so good. So this is a great, perfect um, drink to have or product to have after a workout in particular. But even if you're not working out, this protein powder can just be added to your diet. Of course, always get the thumbs up from your own healthcare provider. But even if you're not a gym junkie, even if you're not training that much, you're just a busy mum, adding a protein powder to your daily intake really can help to support you and give you enough energy to get through all of the tasks that you have to face and all of those open tabs that are weighing on our mind. So it's a really nice way to make sure you're meeting your protein needs and give you that bit of a boost. And it's just a sweet treat as well. Try it blended with some frozen banana or just have it on its own, either on water or milk. And you may even like to choose um, one of the new Nutra Organics shakers as well. They're really, really nice. So Nutra Organics, very, very excited about their new range. Salted Caramel Fudge is my favorite. They also have vanilla cookie dough and chocolate thick shake too. So jump over to their website, which I will pop in the show notes for you. And use the code Kylie, all in capitals, to take 15% off your order. So check out their new products, check out their new merchandise, and just feel good knowing that you're purchasing from a really, really beautiful company who really, really care about their customers, and they really care about creating a high-level product. So I've got the clean protein in my hand right now, and it even says on there, you know, like vegan BCAAs, which are your branch chain amino acids for recovery, magnesium and iron for energy, which ladies, magnesium is a game changer. When it comes to supplements, for me personally, nothing has made a bigger difference than adding magnesium to my diet. 
enzymes and prebiotics for gut support, 1 billion probiotics to restore digestive health. We all know how important gut health is these days. As I mentioned, less than one gram of sugar per serve. It's gluten-free and vegan and also keto-friendly. Ticking all the boxes there with this wonder product. So that is the new clean protein from Nutra Organics. Use the code Kylie to save 15%. So today's conversation, as I mentioned, it's on anxiety and in particular anxiety during motherhood. But even if you're not a mum, I'm certain you will be able to take many threads from this conversation and weave them into your life. Dr. Jody Richardson is a professional speaker, author, and educator. She specializes in helping parents and teachers work through the challenges and opportunities, which I love, I love that framing, opportunities, associated with a child's mental health, well-being, and happiness, as well as their own. Jody delivers presentations, conference keynotes, seminars and workshops to parents and teachers Australia-wide and also internationally, both in person and online. Thankfully, given the year we've had, she's able to do this online. Jody combines nine years of university study with over 20 years of professional work in education, well-being, clinical practice and elite sport. You may have even heard her throughout the media over the years as she is often invited to comment on such issues as parenting and also anxiety and well-being in both radio and television media. Jodi is a mum of two who she raises with her hubby and together with their beloved Border Collies. So Dr. Jodi has a lot to say on this topic. She's written books. And I must say, in particular, I really, really enjoy Anxious Mums as a book because it's a really easy, digestible read, which is, I think, what we need as mums. Sometimes it's nice to know all of the deep science, but other times it's just nice to go, you know what, what can I do to ease the burden that I feel as though I'm carrying? So without further preamble, let's get stuck into my conversation with Dr. Jody. Jody, thank you so much for taking time out of your morning to have this chat with our community. I've been really, really looking forward to exploring this topic with you because I have devoured your book, Anxious Mums. And I was just saying to you before I hit record that I find this book to be so brilliant because it's really, really digestible. So thank you for your book and thank you for being here. Oh, thank you for having me. Thank you for that awesome feedback. It's always really wonderful to hear that it's making a difference in in women's lives. So I really appreciate that. Mm, I think it's one that pretty much every mum should have handy just to pick up and dip into as they need because anxiety, I think for a lot of people, and correct me if I'm wrong, but anxiety is one of those things that we just kind of learn to make space for. So it's not like a one-time cure. It's it's handy to have that book to dip back into for those prompts. Mm, it really is. And, you know, people that are that will be listening today and the people that we know and love, they we, we all experience anxiety. It's very normal. It's a normal human emotion. And, you know, but for some of us, it can become overwhelming and uh, can get in the way of our day-to-day. And that's when we know that 
you know, we might have uh, more of a challenge on our hands and possibly an anxiety disorder. But it is, it's definitely something that, you know, with normal anxiety, we might have a stressful uh, meeting or presentation or for some people, a podcast interview could send their anxiety sky high. But when that's over, the anxiety settles down. Uh, otherwise, for, for others, uh, it's more chronic, more constant. And like, like you say, the book, you know, it's it's broken up in ways that you can dip in and dip out. You can you can dive into the chapter that's the right one for you, depending on the circumstances that you're experiencing and what it is that you need to learn. Mm, and you touched on the different types of anxiety there from kind of like your expected anxiety, you know, like your normal response that we would expect if you had something like a presentation or a new day at work or, you know, those kind of first times that you would expect to feel anxious, but then you have ongoing anxiety. What are some of the different kinds of ongoing anxiety? There are a range of different diagnoses and uh, one of them is called generalised anxiety disorder, often uh, just reduced to GAD. And that's the type of anxiety where there's a lot of worry about a lot of things. And uh, this is something that I've experienced uh, most of my life. Uh, I'll talk a little bit more later if we have time about um, me identifying my own anxiety from the age of four. But that, that was it, just lots and lots of worries. And uh, it could be from a range of different domains in life. It could be about the kids. It could be about yourself, about family, about work. Uh, the next one I'd like to mention is social anxiety disorder, which is really common. And this is an anxiety that stems from uh, being very worried about embarrassing yourself, being very concerned about, uh, you know, not saying the right thing, doing the right thing in a social setting and uh, being rejected even from a social setting because you anticipating it's all of that future thinking around what you might get wrong and how you might mess it up and so social anxiety and any anxiety often leads to avoidance which means it makes me feel anxious I'm worried about what's going to happen I'm not going to go and of course that just amplifies it uh, some people have specific phobias around things like spiders or birds. Good goodness, the bird one's reasonably common. I know a couple of people uh, just in my own circle who are very fearful of birds. And uh, one, of my, one of my really good friends has a bird phobia. Yeah, mm. yeah it's very real. It's very real and, and, and whilst sometimes we can have a little chuckle about, about it, it, it's, you know, it's very, very frightening and fearful and, and the you know, anyone experiencing that goes into the final flight response. And it's interesting about specific phobias. Some people go through life not really needing a lot of help with it because whatever it is that causes them great anxiety might be easily avoided. Uh, birds is one of the things we can mostly avoid in our day-to-day lives, which is, which is good. So it depends on what people are experiencing as to whether or not they seek help. Uh, illness anxiety disorder is another one. And this is where there's a lot of concern that you're terribly and terminally ill and it could be from a minor rising temperature. It could be just from something that's a little out of your new bit of a weird feeling that you might not be able to make sense of and and that can lead to these very strong uh, anxieties around, around your own health or around the health of the people that you love, including your kids. Um, there's panic disorder where uh, that's really... Uh, a lot of that's brought upon because the anxiety about having a panic disorder can make you feel so anxious that, you know, that you can sort of be quite self-fulfilling. 
Um, there's also OCD, uh, which is where the intrusive thoughts, which are also the obsessive thoughts, create an, a feeling of anxiety that is somewhat neutralised by completing a compulsion of sorts. And so your listeners, and, and you may be familiar with the what we, when we think of OCD, we often think of a lot of hand washing. And of course, my heart goes out to people struggling with that particular type of uh, hygiene OCD in the, in you know, the last sort of 12 months um, with what we've been facing with COVID and mm. uh, the, risk, the genuine the genuine risk of, uh, you know, of, of what we could have on our hands and uh, end up, um, you know, contaminating ourselves with. But for, for others with OCD, it can be rituals, like some of, some of the parents listening might be thinking about their own children and maybe the rituals if they have a very strict and specific set of things that need to be done before bed or uh, it could even be just the, the order in which things need to be done or it could be uh, symmetry. It could be that if I've got uh, my, my books on my bookshelf, the shortest ones are on the outside and the tallest ones are on the inside is one example. But also mm. there are people with OCD who don't have an outward physical compulsion that you could see, but they have compulsions in their mind and often seek a lot of reassurance as well. Mm, so those obsessive thoughts on loop. Yes, obsessive thoughts on loop and a really, really tough anxiety. It, it's interesting, actually. It's in its own category. So I, I did write about it as an anxiety disorder and it, it once upon a time was, but now it's in a um, it's in a category of its own in, in the Diagnostic Bible, uh, along with things like uh, body dysmorphia and, and other, uh, you know, psychological challenges that can impact people. But, yeah, horrendous, horrendous thoughts and... You know, when it comes to OCD, it can be, it can be about. It often strikes really deeply at the heart of the values of the person. So, you know, there are, you know, children who have obsessive thoughts about uh, perhaps their weight or their health or their fitness or their, you know, their nutrition and or how many friends they've got. And whilst that might be a child who's fit, strong, lean, um, popular, big social circle and great at school, what's happening in their head is telling them the opposite of that and it's, it's sickening uh, and really, really difficult, um, whether you're a child or an adult, but uh, there is help available for any type of anxiety, of course. Mm, there are so many different types and I also imagine that there are many people who also kind of borrow from each kind of category as needed. So there's a lot there. It's such a massive, massive term. I would love for you to share your story about how you noticed anxiety from a really young age, in particular because when I mentioned that I was going to be having a chat about anxiety, you know, with a focus on mums feeling anxious, a lot of women reached out to me via Instagram and said, so glad you're exploring this topic, but I want to know about nature versus nurture when it comes to anxiety. And that struck a chord with me, Jodie, because I've shared this before on the podcast, but from a really young age, I was aware of anxiety. My mum has battled with anxiety for my whole life for sure and at times I reflect on my childhood and I wonder was I 
anxious or was I experiencing a normal wave of emotion for my age but I attached it to anxiety because I realized that if I was classifying myself as anxious it also gave me a special bond to my mum and in some ways I was rewarded for that bond you know whether it was extra appointments with going to a naturopath or it was just feeling special and feeling seen that I was having the same thing that my mum had so when I cast my mind back the nature versus nurture thing is so fascinating to me and from the feedback that I gained from the community it's really interesting to them as well so Mm. I would love to know about your experience from a young age and then also now as a doctor what I guess your opinion is on that um, I guess that dichotomy of nature versus nurture yes it's uh yeah so thank you for sharing you know and and obviously being so open and you know just what what you just did then is just such a huge step towards reducing the stigma around anxiety which is one of the barriers to people seeking help and you know, I, I talk when I'm doing presentations or, uh, you know, writing, I'm very open. As you would have known, I was very, very open and vulnerable in the book. But, uh, you know, for, from the age of four, I can reflect now and see that um, the sick feeling in my stomach was anxiety as I was a little prep starting school in a class with uh, a double class of preps, so 53 preps and two teachers, two very stressed women at the helm and uh you know that the stress it's interesting actually because I can feed straight into that next question the nature versus nurture I I had a genetic predisposition for an anxiety disorder because my mum has anxiety my grandfather had OCD other members of my family uh extended family have anxiety and so I like to talk about it a bit like a a switch. You know, we can have this genetic coding that might make us more likely to experience something. And it's about 30 to 50% of people with anxiety have have inherited it. Uh, But, you know, something in the environment often has to sort of turn that switch on. And I liken it to strength training. We all have the genes to grow muscle but unless we do resistance exercise we lift weights uh we're not going to turn those genes on which will start doing that work and so nature and nurture are very very intertwined when it comes to this um and so yeah that environment obviously was really stressful for me and uh that speaks towards the contagious nature of anxiety in that if there's if we're in a very anxious environment the people around us are anxious uh you know, contagious is a bit of a funny word to be using when it comes to something like this and not in not in the true sense of the word, but certainly it's catching um, and it can go from us as parents to our kids and it can go in the opposite direction as well in that our kids are very stressed and immediately um, causes us a lot of stress and anxiety as well. Mm, absolutely. And just when you were speaking then about genetic predisposition, a quote dropped in for me that I've heard a few times now, and I might be butchering it, but it's along the lines of genetics loads the gun, but lifestyle pulls the trigger. So mm. it's like you might have that genetic coding, as you mentioned, but then it's either a certain situation, a certain setting that is what pulls the trigger and fires out that anxiety. Mm, yeah, it's uh, it, it's spot on, Kylie. It is very much so. And, you know, we can all have 
genetic we've got genetic coding for lots of things that will we'll never eventuate for us and uh, never, never be something that we'll be aware of but for, for others uh, certainly environment and lifestyle definitely can like you say can pull the trigger in and uh, make those make the, that coding visible I suppose in terms of behavior and experiences for a person mm-hmm. So then I guess when we're thinking directly of mums who are struggling with anxiety and now they've got little ones and their biggest fear is passing on their anxieties, what can we do? Like how do we realistically manage that? Mm, I think it's first of all I want to say it's very natural to feel that way and of course anxiety doesn't feel good and we don't like it and we don't want it we certainly know if we've been impacted by it that we don't want that for our own children and I guess it comes back to the the notion that you know certain things are in our control and certain things are not and you know for us to focus on on what we can do and and I guess that is really having a, a good understanding of anxiety and where it comes from uh, and and equipping us first of all equipping ourselves to understand our own anxiety know how to manage it know how to manage the thinking uh, aspect of anxiety the worries and the the catastrophic thinking that can come hand in hand but also uh, the physical aspects of anxiety and the way that it impacts our bodies um, and of course the behavior the way it impacts our what we do or what we specifically don't do as a result so think how we think how we feel and how we do is is how anxiety impacts us so understanding ourselves first and then you know transferring that that knowledge to our children and equipping our kids with good grounding skills, uh, good mindfulness skills, um, an understanding of anxiety as an emotion in the same way that we teach them about sadness and about loss and about disappointment and frustration uh, and all of the other emotions, you know, emotional coaching that we do with our kids. And uh, and I think too, helping kids to recognise that anxiety is it is a part of life for all of us and it serves a really amazing protective, uh, has a, a very uh, protective uh, role to play in our lives in that if, you know, if our kids are at school and some kids are starting to, you know, roughhouse or, you know, behave in a way that that's sort of maybe gives them a little bit of anxiety, well, that anxiety will prompt them to move away. Um, you know, if, if, if a friend asks them to do something that that doesn't align with their values the anxiety will rise and that'll help them make a decision based on you know so I think it's 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 a genuine and natural fear to worry about our kids and we can't we there's only so much we can do what we can do is help our kids to have um, good skills when it comes to uh, understanding their body and their bodily reactions uh, some really great grounding and mindfulness skills uh, breathing helps if, if kids do develop some of the physical signs of anxiety for you to be able to recognise it and get the help they need early. Um, There's some of the things that I would say to sort of help uh, support. I mean, I'd love to turn around and say, well, here's what you can do to stop it happening. <laughs> but mm. that's not realistic. It, it's, it's it's a possibility, but you'll be best placed to support them because you'll have empathy uh, and you'll have a good understanding of, of what to look for and uh, get the help that, you know, that, that anxious kids need sooner rather than later. Mm, so I guess perhaps for our listeners who are in this situation, rather than focusing on, okay, how do I not 
pass on my anxiety take the onus off that and redirect your attention towards managing your own anxiety because ultimately it's like gratitude like people will often say to me how can I teach my kids to be grateful it's like you you don't need to give them a lesson on great on being grateful if you yourself are grateful they will just absorb that by osmosis just by being around you and then gratitude will become part of their life so i guess in a similar way with the worry of passing on anxiety it's making it like your number one priority to understand and manage it yourself and just model that mm, it it really is and and it, it's it's so right what you just said that you know, it's it's monkey see, monkey do, and you know what we are what we are demonstrating and how we're living our lives is really such a lesson for our kids, and they're always watching. And sometimes, don't we? We'll see some little mannerisms come out in uh, in our kids, and we're like, "Whoa, I didn't realize that they were picking up on that part of my parenting." Um, but yeah, and and definitely too, in terms of look, you know, it's it's very natural to uh, express emotions in a family, and you know, and all emotions are okay. You know that that's a really strong message for for all of us, especially us as parents. But it's about uh, when we're highly anxious to you know look you know you you your your mum was anxious, my mum was anxious also, and and sometimes sometimes that would spill over into the way that she spoke to me and my brother, and I didn't understand it, and I sometimes felt like, oh gosh, what have I done wrong? Or, but so I think it's it's about not only supporting yourself to manage it, it's educating your family around it too. And in my home, you know, sometimes I'll say to my kids, I'm feeling quite anxious at the moment, so could I please just have, uh, you know, ten minutes to myself? You know, we don't have an enormous home, and so we, you know, we spend lots of lovely time together, but. Sometimes I need to say that or sometimes I need to say, uh, look, I'm just going to go and take some some breaths and just uh, do a bit of a mindful walk outside on the grass and just sort of, uh, you know, and, and sometimes they'll come with me and other times I'll say, look, I'm feeling really anxious and so instead of me doing this right now that we were going to do, I'm going to have to do that because that's something that I need to address right now. And, uh, and so it's bringing them in on you know the the language and the understanding and showing showing the kids how you handle it in your own life and also being mindful that you know the anxiety that we do experience can spill over onto our kids and impact them and uh whilst i'm not saying we have to be um mary poppins all the time um it's just being mindful of how we're expressing and managing our own anxiety so that it's um, not hurting the people that we love as well and I think that that's one of the biggest paradoxes of motherhood is when you become a mum and you realise that you have to care for someone else and that level of responsibility, one of the paradoxes is you actually have to give that level of responsibility and duty of care to yourself first Mm -hmm. and it's Mm -hmm. not until you have a little one that you go oh my gosh I am a role model whether I like it or not that I know for a lot of people it's kind of like okay I haven't been able to do this for myself but because I love my kids so much and I want to be the best version of me it's like it gives them an in into really focusing in and um, I guess course correcting or nurturing themselves I think that's one of the the big gifts of motherhood. It, it really is. It's it's a newfound purpose, and 
you know, it's interesting. I'd love to draw a parallel, you know, with uh, when it comes to, say, uh, social anxiety, you know, or, or separation anxieties, of course, sorry, one I didn't mention earlier that's not tent doesn't tend to be an issue for women, but obviously for children. Um, when when we uh, when we are parenting, at, say, a child with separation anxiety, we want to be able to support them to uh, take steps to be able to manage uh, what it is that they're you know that they're they're struggling with. And you know, some sometimes we can create. Uh, uh, let's say a goal, but it, but there's no purpose around it. So it it, it could you know it could be uh, just sleep in another room in the house, you know, rather than sleeping with the parent. And but there's, there's not it's not a great sense of purpose around that. But you know, if there was uh, say a, a really special event that they got to to enjoy with the grandparent, that, you know, and they're going somewhere, and it gives great purpose and motivation to a will and a willingness to do what's required to, you know, mm. to work, if that makes sense. And I think as mums ourselves that, you know, once we've got that sense of purpose around our kids, uh, that, that we can develop that willingness that, that was was never there before. And, um, you know, whenever we're encouraging any, anyone who's anxious to sort of make steps towards doing what's really important, um, identifying the values around that and uh, the action that sort of really aligns with those values, it often makes for a much more successful campaign. <laughs> Yes, absolutely. I can see the clear parallels there. Mm. Um, I would love to, I mean, there are so many different tangents we could take this anxiety chat on, but I would really love to explore um, the, I guess, the connection between a life change bringing on anxiety, because I know for many listeners, they might not have experienced anxiety, but then they become a mum. And all of a sudden it's like, holy moly, this life change has brought about this whole new um, world of anxiety. Why does that happen? Why does a big life change? And not even just motherhood for those who are listening that don't have kids. It might be losing someone that you love or like for myself, I think that my anxiety was lying dormant for, for many years and then going through a divorce. It's like, bam, like it's just this massive life change has opened the floodgates for all of this anxiety that was under the surface. Why does it happen? Like, why does a big life change? It's like our emotions or our feelings, that kind of short circuit. Like, what's going on actually that makes this happen? Yes. Look, one of the great drivers of anxiety is uncertainty and unpredictability. And, you know, when when we're faced with, you know, a huge and emotional life change like like a divorce, as you've just described, or becoming a mum or losing a job or losing a loved one, it, it it really can throw us off balance and you know that that sense of uncertainty because you know, we we know life's not as predictable as we'd like it to be, but there are aspects of our life, there are pockets of our life that are predictable. But sometimes when that that's uh, thrown off course, we can become anxious because there's a part of our brain that, and it's it's uh, the part of our brain that our cavemen and women ancestors would have had. And none of us have evolved from ancestors who did not have a highly alert. Uh, sort of uh, alarm in their brain, if you like. It's a good metaphor for it. So if we think about this part of the brain as a bit like a smoke alarm, it's meant to go off when there's a burning house. 
But if it constantly goes off because you, you know, put the gas on the stove or you burnt the toast, then it's highly sensitive and it's alarming even though there's no real threat to life. And that's happened with this part of the brain called the amygdala. And when there's uncertainty, that can be interpreted as a threat. And often too what happens is when there's a, a major life change, there's a lot of future thinking and we can, I mean, I could sit here and imagine uh, a very unhappy uh, future, uh, you know, in the next, if something terrible happening in the next few weeks and my brain and body would start to react as if that was happening in the moment and and that's because this part of our brain is is it will switch on this physiological response to threat, whether the threat is real, whether it's imagined or whether it's perceived. And so when that uncertainty strikes uh, with any major life change, it's that part of the brain that's just detecting threat and responding accordingly to power up our body uh, in, in lots of physical ways to be able to protect ourselves from that threat. Um, mm. And that's that right response. That makes so much sense. As soon as you said uncertainty, I'm like, well, of course, of course that's what it is. And I think I've been framing it. I've used, like I've thought about it in terms of certainty versus uncertainty, but I've also thought about it in terms of control. I think that, you know, it's like when you're in a, a situation where you are a new mum and it's like you are so out of control for maybe the first time in years and same thing again a divorce you feel out of control of certain aspects many massive life changes bring that feeling and out of control is uncertainty ultimately Mm, very much so and you know I've been recently reading a book called The Lives of the Stoics and Epictetus was a was a, a Stoic philosopher who first kind of coined coined the the, the term or you know the, the phrase about focusing on what we can't what sorry focusing on what we can and can't control and recognizing the two and it's it's you know it's easy to say those words it, it it's harder in life because even though something might be out of our control our brain works very hard our brain's very much a problem solving machine our mind I should say is very much a problem solver so even if there's something that we can't control we know in realistic terms there's really nothing we can do it won't stop necessarily our mind from trying to tick over and try to find all the different ways that this particular uh you know problem could have a solution and so it's uh it's it's a big challenge you know and when there are when there are, you know, huge changes in um, in life, certainly we lose a very a, a sense of control. It's, it's unpredictable. We're very uncertain, and uh, the part of our brain that really wants to keep us safe is, you know, begins to work overtime, and uh, and that um, that can bring on a lot of anxiety and, and um, you know, subsequent challenges. And it's funny that you bring up stoicism because I've shared before books that I absolutely love on the podcast. I've got a couple of different episodes and I have shared um, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius and also How to Live a Good Life. I think that's what it's called. The author's name escapes me at the minute, but I find leaning into stoicism really helpful for my monkey mind, for my anxiety. Um, so, yeah, just I just wanted to highlight that one for our listeners. It might be something to look into. Yes, it's uh, 
it's uh, extraordinary. Philosophy is not something that I've I've uh, delved into until very recently. So I love that you've you've already found uh, a lot of wisdom in the teachings. It's extraordinary to think about the 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 time that these and and look, they were mostly men. Uh, there, there's one Porsche in my book who who was one of the few women. That was the the sign of the times. Uh, you know, in the even just in the times BC and and immediately AD, the the wisdom and the teachings that uh, that these people were able to arrive at and share was it's quite quite extraordinary. So uh, yeah, it's really it's really great when you can find some uh, some of the philosophers whose work you resonate with. Absolutely. I also wanted to touch on you mentioning. Sorry, I wanted to touch on obsessive thoughts just while we're here on thinking about talking about life changes because I know for a lot of women when they have little ones obsessive thoughts become very very real and it could be obsessive thoughts that you know aren't too harmful or it could be obsessive thoughts that are really quite dark in regards to um, you know maybe being worried about hurting their little ones or being unable to keep them safe if someone is experiencing these sorts of thoughts on a loop what do you recommend they do like how, how can they approach this mm, very first thing I would say is seek help have a chat with your GP uh, because uh, it, it, it was extraordinary you know I experienced OCD as a child and you would have read about and then when I had both Hunter and McKinley, I had obsessive thoughts and I was particularly obsessive about hygiene around uh, sterilisation and the like, which some of the mums listening might relate to, uh, and dads as well, you know, if, it, if it's sterilising bottles. Um, yeah, it can be it can be just sickening, the types of thoughts that we can have, but it's extraordinary how common it, common it is. And uh, one of the books that I read uh, amongst the scientific research was a, a book called Good Mums Have Scary Thoughts Too. And oh, it's, a, it's an excellent book for mums to take a look at if you are experiencing that. It's very common. And the research showed that women, uh, 90, in this one particular study showed 90% of women in the study had experienced thoughts of harming their child, their, their infant, uh, as a result of this type of, you know, change uh, in thinking that can happen as a new parent. But what's also very reassuring and, and is that we're no more likely to harm or hurt our infants than we would if we didn't have those types of thoughts. We're certainly not going to act on them. Uh, but it's very frightening and it could be a sign that your mental health, uh, you know, uh, you could do with some extra help with your mental health. So I'd really recommend if you're struggling with that to have a chat with your GP. If you don't have one that you, you absolutely love, then ask around, ask your girlfriends uh, because, you know, word of mouth is often a great recommendation. Um, the other thing, you know, to, to support people who are experiencing that, and I wish I'd known this way back, uh, but I didn't, and... Uh, is to, you know, often what happens is we'll have a thought and I'll, I'll share a personal example. Uh, so if Hunter had a swollen gland and, you know, the little, the little nodes on the back of their neck can um, become raised uh, when their glands are up, and which happens often, kids get sick all the time, um, I would think that that was a tumour. That was what my immediate uh, mindset was that, oh, my goodness, um, this is a growth. It must be cancer. Goodness, I'm going to lose him. And of course, sickening. And you believe 
that what you're thinking is the truth. Um, and one it can of the, get very spirally very quick. It really, really can, very, very dark. And and so one of the, obviously, you know, anybody who's experiencing that would really benefit from some professional help. But one of the things, you know, one of the things that we can do is, is sort of step back a little bit and notice our thinking because there's a part of us that can notice what we're thinking. It's when we're, we're dragged away by our thoughts. It's like getting washed away in a raging river. You know, you just get swept away from the present moment. It's really frightening and, 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 and scary. Whereas imagine yourself hopping out of the river and onto the bank and kind of watching the thoughts floating by and just merely stepping back and becoming an observer and even saying to yourself, I notice I'm having this thought can, can help you start to get uh, a little bit of perspective on what's happening, that it, it is a thought. We, ha- we have lots of thoughts and most of the time most of us can dismiss thoughts that are judgmental or dark or unusual or weird or strange. Um, but if you're having trouble getting really, really caught up with it, uh, it, it'd be really useful to get some help to sort of uh, learn some strategies that will help you to sort of, you know, get out of the river and get onto the bank, watch what's happening a little bit more and be able to, um, you know, then stop those thoughts that are so distressing, um, dragging you away from what's really important in that moment, which is, you know, taking care of your infant and taking care of yourself. So that is such a helpful way to imagine it. And I'm a really visual person. So that really, really lands with me. And as you were sharing that about, you know, the river and jumping on the thought, it reminded me of a conversation I've had on the podcast about meditation and meditation. I think it's one of those topics that, you know, when you say, Oh, you should meditate or try meditation. So many people instantly are like, no, 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 that's not for me. Or I've tried it. And they struggle to connect the dots with how meditation can show up in their life. But just when you're explaining that then Jody, it reminded me of a meditation teacher, Amy, who I had a conversation with on the podcast. And she was saying, you know, meditation is like sitting down and you're on the side of the road and all of these cars are going past. And sometimes during meditation, you'll realize you've hopped in the car and you've gone a little bit, but meditation Mm -hmm. is the practice of going and, you know, in this concept, the cars are thoughts. So, you know, you've hopped on this thought and you've gotten however far down the road, but the practice of meditation is to just notice it and go, oh my gosh, I hopped into this car. I got this far down the road. Now I'm going to hop back out and I'm going to come back up. You know, I'm going to get back onto the side of the road. So I guess just listening to the way you explained the dark thoughts and anxiety, then it really is clear how the practice of meditation is strengthening that muscle to be the observer. Mm, very much so and and to dispel a myth that I'm sure Amy Amy did at, at the time and but I, I think there's there's a great um, misconception around meditation in that you're not supposed to have any thoughts and really that's not even achieved by the great Zen masters of the world you know for, for more than you know a, a short period of time I'm sure but it's about being the observer and observing and not getting hooked or sort of dragged away by them and the practice of meditation and the way like you put it the way you strengthen that that muscle that mental muscle is by observing that to use your metaphor Amy's metaphor observing and recognizing oh I hopped in the car I did get I did get drawn drawn into that thought then the moment that you realize 
you you can return your attention your focus back to again being the observer and watching the cars go by and um, there's lots of really beautiful visuals that people can come up with um, and, and you know for those people uh, and there are some who can't visualize uh, so don't be alarmed if you can't visualize if you can't create these um, these pictures in your mind then you might just imagine uh, you know the, the thoughts uh, you know just popping the thoughts in, even in a, in a blank space or in a white space or a black space um, and so you know and the the practice of meditation was was life-changing for me when I, I was taught it by a therapist uh, when I started getting treated uh, for my uh, unrecognized anxiety in my mid-20s and and um, you know the practice is that you will start to just observe and pay attention to the breath. You'll get lost in a thought. You'll recognize that. You'll come back to the breath. You'll get lost in a thought. You'll recognize that. You'll come back to the breath. And it's every time you recognize and you come back, that's the practice. It's, yeah. it's you know, and, and the more you the more you sit and practice, eventually the sooner you notice, you're not hooked for as long and, and it's a bit easier. They're, they're a bit less sticky, those thoughts. You can unstick and sort of come back a little bit more easily. But um, it's really important to emphasise that the practice is the noticing and the returning your attention. And, you know, as a, as a parent for ourselves, you know, being present with our children is such a gift. And in the last couple of weeks, actually in the last week, I've had two funerals to attend. Um, two uncles of mine have passed away, uh, which has been uh, devastating and a very, very sad time for our, our family. And what it's really reminded me is that, you know, at the end of our days, the time, the, the present and mindful time we spend with the people that we love, our friends and our family, our colleagues and uh, our kids, that, that's what really makes for a rich life. And, you know, as mums, we can sometimes be, you know, reading a book with the kids or listening to the reading, but we're thinking about, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do for dinner tomorrow night? Or, you know, we can be with our partners or friends and drifting off and not really listening. And so whilst their skills to practice you know, in a in a quiet time, that it's bringing those skills into your life that really enriches enriches it beyond what just the meditative practice can do alone. Um, and, and I'd encourage for, for women who are experiencing obsessive thoughts, is that the you know it's it's very very hard to practice um, to do a mindfulness practice as a brand new mum when you're sleep deprived and you've just got a million things to do and um, and you you might feel quite anxious, but even if you can be mindful whilst you're doing the things that you're doing with your children and keep coming back to the present moment, every little bit of practice will help to not only enrich your life, um, in, increase your bonding and connection with the people that you love, but also um, strengthen your mental health and wellbeing at the same time. Absolutely. I often, when I'm feeling really anxious, I'll often have to remind myself like regularly, like I'll have to say it over and over and over and over, but I will say to myself, current moment, only moment. Like right now I'm wiping down the bench, current moment, only moment. Just be in this situation because that's where you are now rather than putting myself through perceived and imagined scenarios over and over and over again. 
So I think that that's really helpful because as you said, when you are a new mum, you don't have time to go and learn how to meditate deeply or, you know, explore different modalities. So just beginning where you are, meet yourself where you are and do what you can. Mm, it's such great advice. And I love that. I love that uh, mantra that you have for yourself. It reminds me of something a uh, uh, a woman who was at one of my presentations came up to me and she said her gran had always said, put your head where your hands are. And that was her match. Oh, I like that. Put your head where your hands are. Wow. Yeah, isn't it lovely? I really remember that and I've, I've mentioned that a number of times. And, yeah, it's about, you know, it's so easy for our minds to drift and it's such a great skill of us as humans and we do need to plan and organize and predict we can't be mindful you know in every moment of our life we we have no idea about what was going to be on the dinner table or in the lunch boxes uh, until the time arrived you know we do there is a time for planning but what what we know from the research is that 47 percent of the time our minds are wandering that's that's an average uh, that's been extrapolated from an enormous study of over 650,000 people. Um, they were asked to download an app and then they were pinged at random times basically saying, what are you doing, what are you thinking about and how happy are you? And 47% of the time the people were doing some, thinking about something other than what they were doing and they were far less happy because of it even when you're thinking about your tropical holiday that you've had to postpone because of COVID or you know you're thinking about uh, you know the delicious high tea you're having with your, your good friends on the weekend we're never as happy as when we have our attention on what we're doing here in the moment. Oh my gosh which leads in beautifully to the next topic I wanted to speak with you about which is the mental load because I often explain it as having a gazillion tabs opened when you're a mom and not like I'm speaking to mums, but not just mums. I think women in general, we're so, um, we're so, what's the word, I guess, prone to just having so many tabs open, so many different things happening. We're thinking about, you know, perfect example of, as you just said, 47% of us are not where we actually are. We're mentally off doing something else. We're thinking about, is it library day tomorrow? Um, do I need to put school uniforms on? What am I going to feed the kids for dinner? Did I get back to that work email on time? Uh, the, the list is endless. Like it goes on and on and on and on. So that mental load, it's, causes so much tension and a term that I've recently come across is psychic tension it's like that mental that mental weight that you're carrying around all the time so mm -hmm. how can women like what are some actual actions that we can take to get on top of carrying this mental load Mm, I like psychic tension. Uh, that's I've not heard it referred to as that, and it's uh, it is it is a tension. It, it's a it's a it's a heavy weight sometimes for us that we don't even realise we're carrying. And so number one is start to become aware of what your mental load is, and you've listed some brilliant examples. And you know it, it it's funny this morning. Um, I was chatting to my mum and I think I mentioned to you beforehand, you know, our, our Border Collie's not been well and uh, um, I've got, you know, I've got a number of things on it. My mum said to me, 
what can I do to help? And I said, actually, nothing. Thank you so much for offering, but nobody else can do this but me, you know. And But when it comes to mental load, we need to start to think about uh, how we can delegate. There are some things nobody else can do but me or you, um, but there are parts of our mental load that we can we can start to share. And one of the ways we can do that is to write it down. You know, I've, I've read about women who literally jotted every aspect of their mental load down onto a post-it note, every every idea uh, on, onto an individual note and laid it out and then started to group it into household, family, kids, and also then start to break it up into what could be shared with other members of the household. Um, you know, it's very much a female thing. Um, Leah, Professor Leah Ruppiner at Melbourne University, she writes beautifully about this and I've referenced her in the book. Um, there's an amazing cartoon called uh, You Should Have Asked by Emma. Uh, she doesn't have a surname, well, she doesn't share her surname, where Emma arrived at a, a friend's house uh, for a, a catch-up and the friend was in the kitchen cooking. The kids were at the table the husband sat down with Emma and offered her a glass of wine. Um, meanwhile, in the kitchen, the dinner started to spill over. The kids are unhappy. And, you know, the husband said, what are you doing? To which the woman replies, what do you mean? What am I doing? I'm doing everything. And he said, you know, you need some help. You should have asked. And, you know, the idea that we have to ask for it is, you know, is something that Emma really painted a great picture around. And, if we can become more clear about what the load is and how we can shift it to other people, um, some of the things we might be able to let go, uh, they're some of the, the practical things that women can do. Um, but start by getting an idea of what it, what it is that you're thinking about um, and don't be afraid to, to pass some of it on to the kids as well, depending on how old they are. Mm, I like that. I think that, as you said, gaining clarity on what is actually on your daily mental load list um, because of course there'll be different variables depending on you know different seasons of life and events and all of that stuff but actually getting clear on what is my daily laundry list of mental load tasks because mm -hmm. if we're not even identifying them then it's all just like a mishmash of like brown tasks that we're not sure what to do with whereas if we clearly identify them it helps us you know just like sometimes labeling something does actually help you to see it for what it is and then delegating and even just in that process of identifying and delegating things are going to come up for women you know there's going to be the control issue of it's just easier if I do it because you know it could be that you're a perfectionist or perhaps you grew up in a household where your mum was a martyr and did everything. And, you know, there's going to be things that come up, but just noticing it and going, okay, well, this is a wound for me looking at it, but still pushing through and delegating and maybe lowering the bar on mm -hmm. some things. Yeah. I think it's excellent advice because you, we, we often do things because it's quicker and easier. We see it. And, and that's, you know, and like you say about having a, having a, a parent who was a martyr, we, we don't want to be that type of mother because that's the example we're setting for our own children. And if we have daughters, as I do, uh, you know, we certainly don't want to sort of uh, have this uh, generational kind of mental load continuing on, you know, in, in our wake. And so 
you know, the other day my, our son started high school and I was ironing his shirt and I said, guess what you're about to learn how to do? And, you know, but it's not just that. It's about are they washed? You know, has he got a clean shirt available? And 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 so little by little we can start introducing um, our kids and our partners to aspects of our lives and part of it might be lowering our expectations. You know, if if I get hunted to learn how to iron, uh, which is, you know, overdue probably uh, at the age of 12, well, I've got to expect that, you know, it's not going to be done the way I do it and I've got to be okay with that. Praise him for his efforts and uh, know that it's a skill that'll develop and at the end of the day, it's not a big deal if it's, you know, there's a bit of a crinkle here or a bit of an ironed increase there, you know, life mm. <laughs> Absolutely. And just like we spoke about the importance of getting on top of your anxiety, if you can't do it for yourself, going, okay, I need to do this for my kids. I think it's the same thing with contribution, Jody, because I had this moment maybe a year, a year and a half ago, and my boys have just turned seven, but you know, at the time, maybe they were five and a half, nearly six. And I was like, holy moly, if I'm doing everything for them, these little boys are going to grow up thinking that's normal. And also if I'm not engaging in fun, they're going to grow up thinking that's normal as well, that, you know, the mum or the woman or the partner doesn't have fun. She's doing all of the things. So in a similar way, if you struggle to relinquish control and delegate, try to not think about it as a reflection or um, a character default of yours that you're not doing everything. Think about it as a gift to your family in terms of setting them up for success later in life. It might just be a more palatable lens for people to see it through if it's like this is part of the bigger picture of, you know, what contribution actually can be like. Like for me, contribution is messy in my house right now. Like the boys get their own breakfast and it's a fucking disaster, Um, (laughs) you know, and they put their dishes in the dishwasher and they put them upside down and like it's hit and miss. But I don't see that as a reflection on me. I see that as, okay, we're on the path here to raising, raising little boys, raising men that understand they're responsible for contributing. Mm. Oh, I I love that. I love that. And the upside down of the dish was classic, Kylie. That's been going on here too. And, you know, it and it's, you know, our our role as parents, we're we're teachers. We're we're lighting the path for them. And, you know, like that, like you say about the the lens through which we're looking, you know, is that what do we we, we are raising you know, they're, they're not mini adults. We are raising little people who will eventually be adults. And what do we want their adult life to look like? And we we only get 18 summers with our kids. You know, we don't. Oh, my gosh, get, don't. No, you'll never know Yet, um, You know, and as a parent of a, you know, a new high schooler in a grade five, I'm like, goodness gracious, you were in my arms yesterday. What's happened? And I know it's, you know, the days are long, but the years go fast. We, we know that as mums. But... Yeah, definitely if we can look to the future and think, well, you know, we I want my son to be the sort of man who um and he and he does, he's amazing and he is he's such a feminist, the little fella. Um, you know, in the sense his gender equality is just the norm for this generation, which is amazing. And but you know, for him to be able to do everything that he needs to do for himself and so that the part whoever he partners with, uh, you know, she can she can do the same. They can be a partnership, and that the the scales are a little bit tipped in in terms of 
things being a little bit, you know, much more even um, because they're not at the moment. We know through the research that it's predominantly the women that take care of um, things in the house and, you know, making their own breakfast. Brilliant. What what a sense of independence and control that gives them, um, you know, and, and making lunches, kids making their own lunches. There's lots of things that we can get our kids to do that is amazing for them, amazing for their development and responsibility and independence and amazing for us too. <laughs> mm. And something I've heard Brene Brown speak about is, you know, that sometimes there are families that are really child-focused families and then there are families that are really parent-focused. But she talks about the importance of being a family-focused family and I think contribution and sharing the mental load is a way in. It's a way in for that of going, you know what, we are a team. Mm, absolutely and and using that terminology is a brilliant way to do it and kids learn that you're there for them when they need you and they're there for you when you need them and and that's not necessarily emotionally but you know it's it's you know like I, I mean I'm just sort of thinking uh, you know at, at the moment like um you know the things that that need to be done because I'm I've got a particularly high mental load uh, at the moment with a few things different things that are going on that that's when I'll look to them for for a bit more than what they might normally do and and because we I use that word the teamwork you know and they'll say thank you if I do help with something it's like oh thanks so much it's like we're a team we help each other um we're mm-hmm. a family that's what we do and it it develops that mindset of um not that it's a chore to help but that you know, it's it's give and take and um, that's what families do. Absolutely. And Jodie, there are so many threads I feel like we could have grabbed throughout this conversation to unravel and explore because they're all so important. Like I'm sat here with my notes and I'm like, oh, there's so many areas that we could explore here. But I know that we're coming close to chatting for an hour now. So one thing that I just wanted to touch on, well, two things actually before we jump into the rapid fire questions. Firstly, I would love you to speak to the importance of looking after our base needs because I think that we're kind of at times likely to think, oh, I need to reach for the superfood or the super modality. You know, I need to get into Reiki or I need to whatever, whatever it might be without actually going, whoa, 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 whoa. Maybe I need to cut down on the six coffees I'm having a day. Maybe I need to focus on improving my sleep. So just as a doctor and someone who's lived with anxiety and specializes in anxiety, talk to our community about the importance of their base needs, please. Yes. 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 Sleep uh, sleep is critical. Uh, Unfortunately, it can be a bit of a spiral with anxiety. Uh, You can be struggling to sleep at night because you're anxious and then the lack of sleep can amp up the anxiety during the day and so it's uh with with sleep it's about having good sleep hygiene which i i, I know that your, your listeners will will be aware of and that's easy to look up i'd rather focus um the time that we've got left just mentioning that you know find something to think about when you are struggling to sleep at night it's an issue for you because good sleep is is a, a panacea for mental health uh you know and i heard an author speaking about a book she wrote called a block from home and i i didn't hear the interview for long in the car but when i'm struggling to sleep at night i 
I think of a block from home from my childhood and, and what that would have looked like and I just sort of walk the path and think about the houses and it's just a really mindful, lovely uh, way for me to turn my attention away from what it is that might be keeping me awake. Um, certainly if you are awake for long, don't lie in bed trying to get back to sleep, pop a, um, a low lamp, a low-level lamp on, have a read uh, or um, remove yourself to a, a low, a dimly lit area of the house for a period of time and then return so that your body learns that bed is for sleep, not for lying awake. Um, the other thing is exercise. I I have a very, very strong academic and um, uh, personal background in exercise and it's the natural end to the fight or flight response. And so uh, it's really hard to get motivated. Don't wait to feel motivated. Uh, do something with a friend is usually a great way to get going and try to move uh, if you do struggle with anxiety, uh, then exercise is something that will make a phenomenal difference. Um, and for some on the uh, on the idea of coffee, uh, certainly it can impact on sleep if you have coffee after, after noon, um, but also uh, it can amp up anxiety if you have uh, too much or if it just doesn't agree with you. So just be mindful and just pay attention to how coffee impacts you. It might not be your best friend when it comes to your mental health. Mm, absolutely I am the biggest proponent of like I am forever spouting that exercise is my daily antidepressant for me it's not like I, I it's one of those things like I don't wait to feel motivated even though I do feel motivated because I do it daily and I know the benefits but for me it's just a non-negotiable of it is my antidepressant and because I do have that predisposition to feel anxiety and I've also been through waves of depression in the last two years just with moving through a divorce and whatnot exercise is such an anchor and a tether for me in dealing with that and as you said it's such a a natural way to um close or round out that stress response that fight or flight mm. it very much is we're, we're we're powered up when we're in fight or flight to fight to save ourselves which is very physical or to run to save ourselves which of course is very physical and yet so often we're we're powered up to do, to move and we don't do anything uh with all of the physiological changes uh that have occurred to prepare us so yeah moving moving's incredible um you don't have to pay to do it you don't need fancy clothes get out for a walk and uh if it can be a beautiful mindful walk uh you know all, all the better uh but yeah movement movement is something that's uh just critical for anyone uh in terms of you know trying to to help manage their anxiety and I know that one of the things that was important for you to highlight in today's conversation is that we can have anxiety, we can be experiencing anxiety, but that doesn't mean that we need to freeze and not take action. Did you want to speak directly to that point? Yes, Kylie, I do. Thank you. It's, it's, it's very easy for us when we're anxious to put things off and wait until we feel good about making that step or taking that chance or or picking up the phone or launching that business or, you know, reaching out to someone we might want to meet. Uh, it's very easy to wait until we feel like all of our ducks are in a row. But, you know, it's a rare thing for our ducks to be a row in a row and it's very natural for us to have a whole range of different emotions each and every day. So I really encourage people to learn the skills, um, you know, that, that are available to learn about managing your anxiety, but also recognising that you don't need to wait until you are no longer anxious to do everything that really matters to you. 
and uh, that's a real thread through the book and through all of my work and um, that's how I live personally uh, and what I teach professionally. Don't wait, stop waiting uh, because you, you could very well be waiting the rest of your life. Uh, so recognise it, learn the skills to manage it and, uh, you know, be aware of what what your purpose is and uh, what action you can take uh, in line with your values. And uh, and as you do that, please let me know, please let Kylie know, because there's so much that we all have to offer the world and our families and our friends. If we let anxiety stand in our way, um, you know, that's, that's, you know, that's, it's detrimental to our mental health and well-being, and um, and it's depriving others of what what we've got to offer. So um, that's a really important point I wanted to make. Mm, and I just so resonate with that, Jody. I at the moment I have fourteen days of really short like pep talks going live on the podcast, and the first pep talk that I have that met that like number one the first one that I did and that is live now people can go and listen to it was on the principle of stop waiting to be a certain way to do what you want to do because I think so many of us we're like you know what I'm going to go swimming with my kids when I am a size 10 I'm going to go to this gym class when I feel confident at the gym or I'm going to ask for the raise when I feel or when I reach xyz but I think we've we've got it wrong. We've got to flip that diagram around and and change our thinking. And it's like, you know what? No, I've got to do this action because when I do this action, then I'll probably feel X, Y, Z. Mm, yeah, we've got to flip it. We've got to absolutely flip the script because that that's the thing. And and you when you know when you know what's driving you and you take steps, it's it that's what propels you. That's what gives you the momentum to keep going. Uh, whereas, like you say, we're, if we're waiting, waiting for everything to be uh, exactly as we would like it to be, then um, we could be waiting forever. So I love that you've got that. That's Yeah, I look forward to listening to that. And just to finish up, I just wanted to remind our listeners, because I know so many people who are interested in this topic, their biggest concern is passing on their anxiety to their kids. And so just from one mum to another, I wanted to remind our listeners that no one, not a single person gets out of childhood with some sort of belief, some sort of adversity, some sort of baggage. So stop beating yourself up or trying to be the perfect parent. Just be who you are, but look after yourself and model, model that, okay, when things go a little pear-shaped, this is what we do. We slide into action. And so as Jody mentioned, seeking help is your first point of call. If you're struggling, get in with your GP, explore what options are available. I know that for many states in Australia, if not all of them, the mental health care plan is available so you can um, benefit from having rebated sessions with a psychologist or psychiatrist or whoever. But just start. Start taking an action towards... um, towards exploring what's going on for you and how you can best look after yourself and then that is modeling it for your kids Mm, beautifully said awesome now before I let you go and I know that you've got to get back to your sick puppy which it sounds like you have absolutely had a terrible run I meant to say earlier I'm really really sorry to hear about your um, uncles as well losing two uncles in such a short time I'm sure that's just been really really difficult for your whole family so my condolences to you there thank you 
Before I let you get back to your life, I would love to ask you just five quick rapid fire questions so that our community can get to know you a little bit better as a person. Okay. <laughs> okay, let's go. What was the last thing you Googled? Oh, gosh. Uh, um, how to log into the cafeteria at the new high school. <laughs> Brilliant. Um, what is one habit that you have that you're really, really proud of? Oh, my exercise. I do CrossFit and karate. Uh, so, each yeah, I exercise like a maniac. Such powerful exercises too. <laughs> what is a habit that you are not proud of, like an annoying habit that you might have? Oh, um, 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 um. oh goodness. Where do I start? Um, annoying habit I'm not proud of. Well, okay, well, I'll, I wrote about it in the book. It's, I um. And, and, and it's it's related to my mental health. I pick at my toenails. Um, it's it's a body focused uh, behaviour that I I now try to get my a pedicure done, so I leave my toenails alone. But that is annoying to the people around me, and I I can do it to a point where it becomes um, a little bit unsightly and painful. So that's something that I'm not proud of. But I it's related to my mental health, and it's something I'm really working on. <laughs> And do you know what? I think so many people do this. They pick at their fingernails, their toenails, um, uh, they, you know, even a scratch on their head. Or I can share with you just um, to honour you being vulnerable and sharing that here on the podcast as well. Mine used to be peeling skin off my lips. So I would just pick at my lips all through my childhood. I would have a red mark down the middle of my bottom lip because I would just pull the skin off it. Gosh, oh, thank you for sharing that. Thank you. It's, um, yeah, the, these um, repetitive behaviours can be related to anxiety. So is that something you've managed to overcome? Yeah, look, it's something that as an adult I managed, but I know that when I had the boys I started doing it again, which makes mm -hmm. sense. Um, but now I have long nails on and that is by design to stop me from doing it because I will, yeah, it's a system for me Um it's not something like I don't obsessively go to do it now, but when I am stressed, I I know that it's a behavior I lean into. It's the same with I had an eating disorder in my early 20s. So for me, when I'm stressed, I need to be extra mindful of mm. that. My little eating disorder, she'll come to the surface and try and try and serve me and I have to go, okay, this isn't actually a good habit for me. So it's all of these little um, nuances that we all have and they're all different yeah. for people. But oh, it's interesting. Yeah, it is, isn't it? Oh, gosh. Absolutely. Um, do you have a book that you recommend to a lot of people in your life that you can share with us? The Happiness Trap. Oh, I've not read it. Oh, by Dr. Russ Harris. Unbelievable. Yes. If, if Yes. So the approach that I am trained in <clears throat> is uh, acceptance and commitment therapy. And uh, yeah, The Happiness Trap is an amazing, amazing book uh, that I highly recommend every, every single person to try to get a copy of and, and, uh, and uh, enjoy. Yeah, definitely. Okay. It's on my list. I'm going to download the audio version after our chat and get stuck into listening to that so thank you and last but not least do you have a favorite quote or perhaps some words that you live by oh uh, yeah I do um 
one of the one of I have a, a few, but one of the ones I, I'd love to share is that life is lived in the everyday, and that you know life we're, we're living our lives together today. You and you and me here in this moment, and you know, and in this moment, and in this moment, and I think you know we know that life's busy. Life, life, life's what happens to us while we're busy making other plans. But I think we we need to remember that you know, life is lived in the everyday. It's about if we can be present and mindful and, uh, you know, pay pay attention to what's happening with our friends and our families in our in our lives each and every day, we'll be much happier, we'll be much healthier. And uh, when it comes to, you know, you know, our old age and we reflect back, we'll, we'll, we'll know we've lived, um, we, we've, it's a life well lived. Um, so rather than, yeah, focusing on sort of the, the next big thing, uh, just remembering to, to focus and pay attention each and every day and each and every moment. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing, answering those questions and just for taking the time to be here today to have this conversation. Where can our listeners pick up a copy of your book and find out more about you? Oh, yes. So um, my website, uh, which a brand new website has launched uh, just this week, and that's drjodyrichardson.com. So that's D-R-J-O-D-I richardson.com. Books are available there and in all good bookshops. Uh, And also, uh, yes, uh, the the website will really give people an insight into uh, who I am, what I do and uh, and how I can help. So um, also Instagram, of course. Uh, it is Dr. Jody Richardson. Uh, so I'd yeah, really love to connect with um with your beautiful community. Brilliant. I will put all of that in the show notes so that it's easy for our listeners to find. And that book again is called Anxious Mums, How Mums Can Turn Their Anxiety into Strength. Dr. Jody, thank you so much again. Thank you for having me, Kylie. See you later. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 